We're going to go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. So thankful that you can be here tonight. And I'm grateful for what the Lord's doing in each of your hearts. And I'm thankful for what the Lord is doing here at Boulder Valley Baptist Church. Excited for the next month. Excited to see what God's going to do through faith promise in our church as we have faith promise Sunday at the end of the month. And I encourage you to be praying between now and then what God would have you to give to the cause of world missions. This family over here is the product of world missions. Amen. There are some missionaries that went to the Philippines a long time ago <laughs> and, uh, and, and led Brother Esar and Miss Liberty to the Lord. And then from my understanding, I believe y'all planted a couple churches as well, helped in, in that. And uh, God used them in missions. And then Martin, now... Brother Rick Martin, right? Rick Martin. Missionary Rick Martin, pioneering missionary there in the Philippines, has done a wonderful work there. And, and now a whole family is saved and God's using them. And I'm so grateful. And that's how it's supposed to work. And, that's, and, and what gets that going is Faith Promise Missions. You know how Brother Rick Martin was able to go there? Faith Promise Missions. And so what we do for missions has an impact for generations. And so I encourage you to be praying about that. Exodus chapter 12. We've uh, been in a verse by verse series through the book of Exodus and um, we have come through the plagues. Last uh, Thursday we talked about the announcement of the final plague. The death angel is going to come. And that was the warning, the final warning to Pharaoh and Pharaoh still refused to repent and he's going to lose his firstborn. But something we need to understand tonight is it was not just Egypt that would fall under the death penalty. Israel would have fallen under the death penalty as well if they did not follow God's plan. And so what was God's plan? That's really what we're looking at tonight as we examine the institution and the declaration of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So let's look at Exodus chapter 12, and we'll be covering verses 1 through verse 28 tonight. We'll cover the rest of the chapter next week. So Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it and they shall eat the flesh in that night roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire. 
his head with his legs, and with the pertinence or the internal organs thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, and your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be an holy convocation or a holy assembly. This would be where the Passover lamb is killed on the first day. So they're to assemble together on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that is the night that the Passover is killed. And then it says, and in the seventh day, so seven days after the Passover is killed, there shall be an holy convocation, another assembly to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. And ye shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for in this selfsame day, have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt? Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at even, ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth of that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. Ye shall eat nothing leavened. In all your habitations shall ye eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door. And will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when ye be come into the land which the Lord will give you according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? 
Then shall ye say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshiped. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. The title of our message tonight is this, Unboxing God's Plan of Redemption. Lord, I ask you one more time to bless your word. Help me to communicate the great truth of redemption that you have for us tonight. And I pray that it would encourage us, strengthen us, and challenge us uh, to live for you, our Redeemer. And if not saved, to place our faith in Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen. Over the last 10 years, there's been a growing trend of videos that are called unboxing videos. And what that is, is somebody purchases a new product and they record themselves cutting the box open and unfolding the box and pulling out the paper and, and pulling out the parts that are in there. And they, they begin to talk about it and describe uh, what a beautiful toaster this is. I mean, look at it. It's just that perfect, beautiful stainless steel. And look at this handle, you know, and they're describing it. Or it might be a weight machine and they're assembling the parts to this. And they're, they're telling you how, how strong the steel is on it. And so they're, they're going around unboxing these things and describing to you, the viewer, of how great these products are. And, and it gets to the point where this has become so popular that now companies are, are paying unboxers or they'll send them uh, of products for free just so that they can unbox them and get their hundreds of thousands and millions of views. Why do they do that? So that people will, uh, first of all, so the information will get out there so they know how great this product is but then also that they would buy it, that they would buy into the product. And so unboxing can be a great way to get the information across that needs to be received. The book of Exodus has really been somewhat of an unboxing video of God's plan of redemption. That has not just for Israel, by the way, but for all of us. As we've studied through the book of Genesis, now, what we saw is that God created man to know him, to enjoy him, and to glorify him forever in this perfect universe, this perfect world that God had made for them. And yet, just like the rebel tendency is in each and every one of us, Adam and Eve sinned against God. They were expelled from the garden. Sin and death entered into the world. The entire world changed dramatically because of the presence of sin. But God promised to send a Savior. And the book of Genesis uh, kind of unfolds to us or unboxes where the Savior was going to come from. That it was going to come from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who is the father of the nation of Israel. And at the end of Genesis, it's traced through the line of Judah. And so Genesis has been telling us how God has called the people of Israel to be his people, that through their seed, a singular seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Amen. 
And so God was describing how he was going to bring this Savior into the world. And as we've been coming through the book of Exodus, God has showed up on the scene as Israel is in bondage and, and, and in hard slavery. And as you're considering their oppressed condition and the way they were throwing their babies into the river and trying to annihilate this population of the people of God, a question comes to mind, how is this people in their current condition going to bring the Savior into the world? It looks hopeless. They seem helpless. But in Exodus chapter 3, at last, God breaks his silence. And after 430 years of slavery, God says, I have seen, I have heard, and I am come to deliver. But it's kind of been a little bit of an unboxing, hasn't it? God has yet to come out and just say, this is how I'm going to redeem We know that there's the promise of redemption. There's the promise of salvation, but we have yet to see anything up to this point that tells us how that salvation happens, how it works in God's mind, in God's eyes, and in God's heart until we come to chapter 12. God has continually promised Israel, I'm going to deliver you. And he sent plague after plague after plague. And now we have the announcement of the death plague. But when we come to chapter 12, we find the first plain and clear example of how redemption works in God's heart. This final plague of death is going to pass through the land of Egypt. And the reality is that Israel was just as guilty before God as Egypt was. See, for 400 years, they've been immersed in an Egyptian culture. They've adopted Egyptian philosophy Egyptian worship systems. They're worshiping idols. In fact, when, when uh, Joshua leads the people to the promised land and, and they've conquered all that land, he tells them, you've got to put away the strange gods which your fathers served on the other side of the sea in Egypt. <laughs> and so they were idol worshipers. They rejected Aaron and Moses, the men God had sent to deliver them. And they said, why have you brought this? on us. Now our bondage is harder ever since you entered the scene. And so when you consider the nation of Israel, they are living in unbelief at this time. But what God's been doing and what we focused on is how God was bringing these plagues to show Egypt and to show all the nations that he alone is the Lord. But what we find in this, as we come to this text, is that something else has been going on behind the scenes. That God's plagues have also been working in the nation of Israel, that it's been increasing their faith and increasing their trust in God's ability to deliver them to the point where they come and they obey God and they do what he says here. But what this tells us is that Israel was just as guilty as Egypt of worshiping other gods and because of their, uh, their own sin, that they were grouped into the same situation as the Egyptians. From this standpoint, that if they did not do what God said, then the plague would pass upon them as well. That's the stipulation here. And so what that unfolds to us is this. Every single person living in the land of Egypt, whether they were Egyptian or Israelite or part of a mixed multitude, they were all falling under the death penalty. And the reason why is because God is holy, God is just, and he judges all sin. 
But yet what we're going to find is this. Israel escapes the judgment. See, the reality is this. We've all sinned. And the Bible says that the payment for our sin is death, that we all face eternal damnation in a place called hell, that we have broken God's law, that every, uh, we've all been guilty of lying, we've all been uh, guilty of lustful thoughts, we've all been guilty of, of stealing, whether it was from a childhood friend or stealing time from your boss at work. Many have blasphemed God's name. Many have worshiped idols. Many have been covetous. If we went through the Ten Commandments alone, I promise you every one of us in here would be declared guilty. And what the Bible teaches is that because we are guilty, we too fall under the condemnation of God. We all face death. But God is unboxing his plan of redemption. And so the question tonight is this, how can you be delivered from the penalty of death? How can you escape that death? How can you be redeemed the same way that God redeems Israel out of the death penalty that night? The first thing that we need to understand is this, that if you're going to be redeemed, you got to know God's plan, right? If you don't know God's plan, you can't be saved. You can't be delivered. You can't be redeemed. Okay, well, what is God's plan? What God is doing here in chapter 12 is he's unfolding his specific plan to redeem Israel, to save them from Egypt. I want you to see this, first of all, that Israel's redemption marks a whole new beginning for them as a nation. Would you look at me at verse 2? It says, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. He says, it shall be the first month of the year to you. In other words, God is starting something new. He's starting a new calendar. Because the reality is this, that for 430 years, the nation of Israel has been living under the Egyptian calendar, celebrating their feasts, engaging in their worship days, participating in their holy days, following their calendar, worshiping their gods. But what God is doing now is he's saying, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to deliver you from that old pagan system. And I'm going to give you an entirely new system. Everything about your old life in Egypt is going to be put in the past. And everything about your new life with God is going to be instituted. It marks a whole new beginning. Hey, can I tell you this tonight? Your redemption marked a whole new beginning in your life. The Bible says that, that old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. That means that everything in your old life, when you get saved, is to be left behind. Old addictions, old alcohol, old habits, old relationships, sinful lifestyles. Listen, nothing about your unredeemed life should characterize your redeemed life. It should be completely different. Redemption marks a new beginning. Well, how does this new beginning come about? How does God initiate it? How are they going to be redeemed from Egypt? The first thing that we need to understand is this, that a spotless lamb must be killed. The spotless lamb must be killed. We'll not take the time to go back and read everything. I'll just kind of try to explain it uh, chronologically and as, as it was given to them that on the 10th day of this first month, because they w he went ahead and started the month 
in that particular Egyptian month, but it was the start of a new calendar. And this is the 10th day of that particular month that God's giving this instruction. And what he's telling them is on the 10th day, you are to take a lamb. And this lamb was to be without spot, without blemish. It was to be perfect. It was to be pure. And this lamb was to be a male it was to be a male of the first year that they could take it from either the, he, uh, either the goats or from the sheep. It didn't matter, but it had to be a male of the first year without spot, without blemish. And so on the 10th day, they're to take this lamb. And it, it says each household is to have a lamb. And then it gives the instruction that if, if the household is too small, if you've only got one or two people in it and they wouldn't be able to eat the totality of that lamb, then they were to uh, have one lamb between them and their next door neighbor that now they are supposed to share a lamb together. And it says that they're not to eat this lamb uh, raw or boiled, that they're to roast it completely uh, with fire. And so they're to take this lamb on the 10th day uh, uh, together and they're to bring it before, or, well, they're to, hold, they're to hold on to this for the, uh, the ten, on the 10th day. They're to take it, they're to hold on it for four days. And the goal in all of this was really this, that everyone would partake and that no lamb would be wasted. God does not waste his lamb. He says, no, you're to take the whole lamb and you're to, uh, if you need to break it up between uh, two families, but let's make sure everyone partakes. Let's make sure that the lamb is uh, consumed in its entirety. And so they're all to bring this lamb. It says on the 14th day, so that to hold the lamb for four days to inspect it, to be sure no blemish, no spot develops, to take great care of that lamb, for that lamb to live among them, to be with their houses, to be with their children. And then on the 14th day of the month, so four days after taking this lamb, they are to bring it before the entire uh, people that have this holy convocation, this holy assembly. And that night, that lamb is to be killed on the 14th day of the month. And so uh, we realize this, that their redemption required the death of a spotless lamb. The second aspect of this is that the blood of that lamb must be applied. That on the 14th day, they are to, to kill that lamb, to slit its throat. They are to drain the blood into a basin. And then they're to take a bunch of hyssop and they're to dip it in that blood. And they're to brush it on the two side posts, as well as the lintel, the top post over their house. And so they've got to apply this blood. And then it says that they are to uh, roast the entire lamb with fire organs and all that they were not to eat it raw. They were not to eat it boiled. And it was to be completely roasted and consumed with fire. They're instructed that there's to be no leftovers. <laughs> eat the whole thing. And then the parts that you they couldn't eat, they were to keep it till the next morning. And the next morning they were to take it out and they were to burn the entire thing with fire. It was all to be uh, consumed. That night they were to eat this Passover meal. The, they were to eat the meat of this lamb along with unleavened bread Unleavened bread means it didn't have yeast. It means it's not going to rise. And they were also to, and that was to remind them of their quick flight from Egypt, that they're going to go out quickly. They were to eat it with bitter herbs to remind them of the bitter experience that they were delivered from in Egypt. And so their redemption required the blood of a spotless lamb being personally applied to their home. 
And then he says that what's going to happen is that God is going to pass over every house on which this blood is applied. They are told that they are to, in verse 11, they're to eat this meal with their loins girded, with their staff in their hands, and to eat it as quickly as possible because it's the Lord's Passover. And he tells them that night that the Lord is going to pass through the land of Egypt and the firstborn in every single house on which the blood is not applied, the firstborn will die. But he doesn't make any stipulation that that's only among the Egyptians. He's telling them that there's only one way for God's judgment to pass over your house. There's only one way for your firstborn not to die, and that is for you to take the blood of the spotless lamb and to apply it on your doorposts, and when you do, you will escape God's judgment. God will pass over you, and the death plague will not touch you. But then, when the Passover is complete they're going to immediately go out free. In the next several verses, the Lord institutes the feast of unleavened bread. And so you've got this bread that has no yeast. There's no time to let it rise because he's telling them that this very night on this 14th night that the death angel is going to come. So the blood's got to be applied, but he's already told them that what you're to do is on that 14th night, when you kill the Passover, that day you're to get all the unleavened bread or all the leavened bread out of your houses. There's not to be any yeast, no leaven whatsoever. So you're to completely purge your house of this leaven. That leaven would be a picture of sin. He says you're to purge this leaven out. And then he says that, that that night you're to eat this Passover meal with the unleavened bread. You're to all assemble together in this holy assembly and you're going to kill all the Passover lambs in the whole assembly. And then you're going to return home and you're going to uh, cook this, this uh, lamb and you're going to eat this Passover meal along with the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. And so then he says that you are to go seven days. Okay, so the 14th day of the month, they're to purge their house of unleavened bread. The 14th night, they're to kill the Passover lamb that institutes or initiates the feast of unleavened bread. And this feast of unleavened bread is going to continue for seven days until the 21st day of the month. Well, why, what's with this? We, we understand the pictures there, especially of the Passover, the necessity of the blood. But what's this about the feast of unleavened bread? If you look with me at verse number 17, he gives the answer. It says, you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this self same day, have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, ye shall observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. What that tells us is this. God is telling them this night you're leaving. You will be out of Egypt. The blood will be applied. The Passover will be eaten The death angel is going to come or the Lord is going to come and he's going to pass through Egypt and they are going to rush you out. They're going to hurry you out. There'll be no time to really gather your belongings or to cook any meals for the journey. You're just going to grab that unleavened bread and you're going to head out of here. What he's, what he's communicating to them is this, your deliverance from Egypt will be immediate. It'll be tonight. You will be gone clear and free never to return to Egypt. And so what we find here is that God's got a plan 
a plan to deliver them, a plan to save them, a plan to redeem them. And he's unfolding this plan to us. And in this plan, if they are going to be redeemed, they've got to know what the plan is. And so God's unboxing it for them. And the plan is this, a lamb must be killed. The blood must be applied. God will pass over those on whom the blood is applied. And they're going to go out immediately free and clear a whole new beginning for this nation. As a pastor, when I travel, it's important to have some flexibility because sometimes our plans change. You never know when a funeral is going to happen. Uh, my, my dad and I went to a spiritual leadership conference out in California this week. And sure enough, on, on Tuesday, or no, it was yesterday, he found out that a lady in their church was very soon to pass away. And so uh, he had to change his flight from this morning to change it to last night. And there was a little bit of rushing. And, and that's why we fly Southwest, because they don't charge change fees. <laughs> and they let him change that without charging any extra. And so that's a blessing. That's one of the reasons why I tend to book with Southwest, especially here domestically. I, I tend to pay even a little bit extra to book uh, flexible hotels where I can cancel up to the night before and still get that money back. Same thing with rental cars, because you just never know when a marriage is going to fall apart. You never know when a death is going to happen. You never know when some tragedy is going to strike. And so as a pastor, you, you've got to be ready to go. You've got to be ready to adjust. Why? Because our plans change. They get disrupted. But what I want to tell you is this, God's plan of redemption does not change. God's plan of, dis uh, of uh, redemption can never be disrupted. That, it's, that when it comes to redemption, that for Israel to be saved, he gave them the specific process by which they would be saved. And what that means is because God does not change, and because his plan of redemption does not change, it means that the plan for you and I to be redeemed today, for us to be saved today, is still the same plan that it was back then. A spotless lamb must be killed. Amen. But the truth of the matter is that spotless lamb already has been killed. A lamb without blemish has been slain. First Corinthians chapter five and verse seven, the apostle Paul said, for even Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. He makes it plain and clear that Jesus Christ is the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. When uh, Jesus came to be baptized of John the Baptist, what did John say? Behold the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6 says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Found this overwhelming, that in the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to 28 times as the lamb. 28 times. You see, from the foundation of the world, God determined that his son Jesus would come as a spotless lamb and that he would shed his blood on the cross and that blood would provide redemption for all who will believe. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 tells us that the Passover sacrifice was just a shadow of what Jesus would be for us. It was a picture of things to come in Christ. And so what this means is that the Passover lamb has been killed. He has been slain. The blood has been provided, but we've got to understand that redemption is only granted to those who apply the blood by faith. 
It's not enough for the blood to be made available. The blood must be applied. And the Bible says the blood is applied by faith. But I want you to notice in this text that God does not go into the land of Israel and dip the hyssop himself and brush the blood on the houses himself. That he did not go into Israel and sovereignly determine by his own selected purpose that I'm just going to automatically save all the Israelites and automatically destroy all the Egyptians. No, he chose to save those on whom the blood was applied. How was the blood applied? For It was for an Israelite to say, I don't know exactly how all this works, but I believe God means what he says. And they took by, understand it was not a work. It was by faith in what God says. They dipped that hyssop in the blood and they brushed it on there. Trusting if I do what God has said, God will save me and I will escape this death penalty. And the same thing is true in our lives, that God's not going to come to the door of your house and, and beat on your heart and squeeze on your heart until the point where you can no longer resist his grace. No, he gives you the blood. He offers the blood, but you must by faith receive that blood of Jesus Christ as the price for your sin. But when you trust in that blood and that blood is applied to your life and as we sang tonight, it washes away all your sin. You know what God does? His justice passes over you. Why? Because his justice was satisfied in the death of, of the lamb. See, we got to remember this Passover lamb that he's talking about here in Exodus chapter 12. It's a substitutionary death. It's not that there was no death. No, every single home, whether Egyptian or Israelite endured a death. The difference was this. Israel had this lamb that lived among them. This lamb that walked among them for four days. This lamb that they loved and were endeared to. And yet it was that lamb who died to shed the blood to pay the price for their sin. So God's judgment would pass over them. And the same thing is true today that his blood or his judgment will pass over all who will apply the blood of Christ by faith. And so you've got to know that God, that, that for us to be redeemed, a lamb must be killed, but the blood of that lamb must be applied. But when it is, you can escape judgment. <laughs> that means you don't have to fear death. You don't have to wonder if there is enough blood for you. You don't have to worry about whether you've done enough. You just need the blood, and it is that blood that cleanses you from all sin and justifies you before God and brings you to escape the wrath and condemnation of God. It's only through the blood. And you know what else happens? When that blood is applied, redemption is immediate. It's understand that salvation is not a process of coming to Jesus Christ. Salvation is a moment of decision. It's a moment when you acknowledge your guilt before God and the condemnation that you face because of your sin, but you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died to pay the price for your sin and you receive his payment as the price for your sin and you believe that he rose again and you call upon him in your own words, Lord, save me. You call out to him for salvation, that at that very moment of decision, you are free, free from guilt, free from your sin nature, free from sin, 
That means that God no longer sees sin on your life. No, what he sees on your life is the perfect, pure, spotless righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why I had to be a lamb without blemish because Jesus would be a lamb without any blemish of sin in his life. And he would pay the price. And you know what happens? Your redemption marks a whole new beginning in your life. You go out free and clear immediately. God's plan of redemption has not changed. The lamb has been killed. His blood must be applied. And when it is, you escape God's judgment and you go out free. To be redeemed, you got to know the plan. But understand, knowledge isn't enough to save you. No, to be redeemed, you need to trust God's plan. You need to obey God's plan by faith. What happens in verse 21 is Moses calls for all the elders of Israel and he said to them, draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And so he explains the process to them that you've got you've to kill the Passover and you're going to purge out the leavened bread today. And then when you kill this Passover lamb, you're to eat the whole thing. He begins to just go through the whole uh, description that God has given him. And I want you to look at verse 28. It says, And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. See, the reality is this, that when Israel knew God's plan, what did they do? They trusted and followed God's plan. They went out and they killed the Passover and they took that blood and they dipped that hyssop in the blood and they did brush it on their doorposts and they stayed in their house and they went not out and they had the unleavened bread and they had the bitter herbs to eat with it. And so they did every single thing that God said to do. In other words, it was not enough for them to know the plan. They had to act on the plan. They had to trust in the plan and do what the plan said to do. Before you build a house, the architects got to draw up the plans. And that's a tedious process. (laughs) They're probably real thankful we have a lot of computer programs now. That they don't got to break out the yardstick and all the geometrical uh, uh, tools and and drawing out all these lines and measuring. No, they got all the computer programs for that now. But it's still a very tedious process. They have these plans very precise down to the inch. And in a lot of cases, the fraction of the inch and so what, but what happens if you've got this architect that goes through this whole development process and he has the blueprint and he hands the blueprints into the hands of the builder and the builder opens up and spreads out these blueprints and he looks at him and he says, nah, I think I got a better plan. And he takes those up and he just throws them in the trash and then he just kind of goes to work on it. What's going to happen to that house? Well, it's either going to be really messed up or it's going to be far away from what it's supposed to be. Why? Because he didn't follow the plan. What good is a plan if you don't follow the plan? Well, hey, listen, God's drawn up the plans of redemption. He's unboxed it for us here in this text that the lamb's got to be killed. The blood's got to be applied. He'll pass over those who apply the blood and they'll go out immediately free and clear. God's given the plan, but what good is it if we began to freelance the plan? If we began to throw God's plan in the trash and we say, no, I think I can get saved uh, through my sacramental system. That if if I partake in the Lord's Supper, that's what saves me. If I get baptized, that's what saves me. If I follow the Old Testament law, that's what saves me. If I, if I walk across coals of fire, 
That's what saves me. If I take a pilgrimage up into a mountain, that's what saves me. If I spend enough time meditating, that's what saves me. Or if I go through my entire life and I live this life better so that in the next life it can be a little bit better and each life gets a little bit better until I finally reach nirvana and do not exist anymore. Now listen, there's only one plan and God's given the plan and that plan is not Muhammad and that plan is not Buddha and that plan is not Confucius and it's not Taoism and it's not being a monk and it's not taking journeys and it's not our baptism and it's not our church membership. No, the only thing that can bring salvation is the application of the blood of the lamb that was slain. And so you can try to come up with your own plan, but the reality is this. God has already given the plan, and when you take his plan and you discard it and you start developing your own plan, it's going to end up very messed up and very far away from anything God intended it ever to be. And it will not save you. But if you will follow his plan... And if you'll admit your guilt, see, you cannot see your need of salvation until you see your guilt before God. That it's every improper thought that condemns me to the death penalty. That it's every angry outburst that condemns me before God. That it's every minute stolen, every dime stolen, every disrespectful word to your parents, every disobedient action to your parents, even as a little child, that that condemns me under the death penalty. If you don't see your guilt, you won't see your need of salvation. And so the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And it very plainly declares that the wages, the payment for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That God says, yes, your sin is a problem. Yes, you are left condemned. But I have provided a blood, a blood that is pure, a blood that is spotless. And it's available to all, not a limited fragment of society, not to those who have been sovereignly elected, but to everyone who will place their faith in the blood blood, that blood will be applied to their lives. God will pass over his judgment and he judged it on Jesus and you go out free and immediately clear of any guilt before God. It's not enough to know the plan. There's got to come a time in your life where you accept God's plan is true where you place your faith in Jesus' blood and you call on him for salvation. And the Bible says very plain and clear, thou shalt be saved. It's the only way. Any other way is a wrong way. They had to know his plan. They also had to trust his plan. But I also want to show you this, that there's another element to this text for those of us who are saved, for those of us who do know the plan, for those of us who have trusted the plan, and that is this. When you are redeemed, you need to remember his plan. When you've been saved by the blood of the lamb, you need to remember the cross. Would you look with me at verse 24? He says, and ye shall observe this thing. What thing? The Passover feast, the unleavened bread. Ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons 
forever. And it shall come to pass when ye be come into the land which the Lord will give you according as he hath promised that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, what mean ye by this service that ye shall say? It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses and the people bowed the head and worshiped. Here's what's happening. God knows when I deliver you out of Egypt and I've carried you on eagle's wings through the wilderness and I've brought you into the land that I promised your fathers, that land flowing with milk and honey and you get established and you've built cities and my tabernacle is placed there and ultimately the temple is placed there. And when you have kings and you have armies and you've got all this power and when my blessings have come to a head, here's going to be your tendency to forget the God who redeemed you in the first place. That when life gets easier, when life gets more comfortable, you'll forget about me. So here's what I want you to do. Install this ordinance. Let it be a memorial to you and to your sons and from generation to generation of the Passover. That it was the blood of that lamb that was applied to the door of your home that enabled you to go out completely free and escape the judgment of God. You need to remember the Passover. <sighs> I meant to bring something with me tonight and I forgot to. When my wife and I got married, we decided, you know, who knows where our, our life is going to go at this point. We were a couple poor kids straight out of college going into a bivocational youth ministry position at my dad's church. But on our honeymoon, we decided everywhere we go as a family, whether vacation or, or traveling or things like that, we want to have something that helps us remember this time. And so we're kind of thinking through and what we decided to do was we were going to get a magnet as well as a keychain from every place that we got to visit. I mean, I wish I would have brought that. And uh, I mean, it's probably like this big now. <laughs> of course, we got to go, I'm talking about that keychain ball. Uh, we got to go on deputation. We got, I mean, we've been to a lot of places. God's been very good to us. We've been to San Diego Zoo. We've been to uh, Disneyland. We've been to Disney World. We've been to Universal. We've been to Carlsbad Caverns down in New Mexico. Uh, we've been to San Diego Zoo. We've been to, uh, I mean, a million different zoos while we're on deputation. That's a, Everyone wants to take the missionary kids to the zoo. So we've been to the vast majority of them here on the western side of the United States. Went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. Ohio got to experience that. Here's the amazing thing. When I look at one of those keychains, a very vivid flashback memory comes to mind. <laughs> I was looking through these things uh, with Josiah on, on, on the bed just a couple of weeks ago, and, and I pulled up this keychain. You know, I'm looking, I see the one for the Carlsbad Caverns, and immediately my mind goes to a memory of us being down there waiting in line to get on the elevator uh, to go back up to the top. And Josiah had this little monster t-shirt on and he was just, he was barely talking at that time. And he, he rarely ever expressed anything 
uh, personally. He was very introverted and, and, and very quiet. Not anymore, obviously, but he was back then. But, but I remember him had his jacket all weird and the kid looked like a bat. That he was, he was, you know, going like this and making noises and he had this big old monster mouth here, you know, and it looked like he was chomping and stuff. I mean, it's like I can remember it right now by looking at that little keychain. When I see the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, my mind immediately goes to uh, where all the heads are there. And, and I remember taking pictures with the Terrell Davis statue, the, the Peyton Manning statue, the, the uh, Steve Atwater, you know, and Barry Sanders and going through these icons. And I can remember that very vividly. When I go back to a, a Disneyland uh, uh, keychain that has the year 2013 on it, that's when my wife and I got married. That tells me that was from our honeymoon. My mind immediately goes to the lunch we had <laughs> at Big Thunder Mountain Ranch in this huge barbecue platter. And we decided to get a, this ice cream cookie thing. And we thought it would be this little, and it was like this big. But I mean, I can, I can vividly remember those things. Why? Those keychains are memorials. It brings me back. It brings things right back to mind. And you know what that does? It makes me hug my kids a little tighter. <laughs> It gives me the good memories, the joy. It makes me want to go and hug and kiss on my wife and hug and kiss on my kids. Why? Because the memorial of those wonderful things brings a tremendous closeness between us. What God is saying here is I know your tendency. I'm talking about us today. We have the tendency, and when we get saved, it's thrilling, it's exciting, it's exhilarating. We want to go and tell everybody the gospel. We want to tell all our friends and our family about what Jesus has done in our hearts and the change he's bringing to our lives. But what happens is you can get years down the road in your salvation experience, and, and it becomes a, a memory of the past and, and one that you don't always bring to mind, and you can begin to wax a little cold-hearted toward the Lord. You, the passion can go away, and, and your, your burden and desire to reach people can go away. And your love for Jesus can wane where you don't feel like reading your Bible. You don't feel like praying. You don't feel like going to church. And you're, you're going through just a, a spiritual lull in your life. And what God has done is he has given us some wonderful memorials in our lives to say, you need to frequent those memorials. And those memorials are of the cross to bring us back to our time of redemption, to bring us back to our Passover lamb who is slain from the foundation of the world to pay the price for your sin and mine. And, and what, well, what has he given us? What are these memorials that we're talking about? Well, first of all, uh, telling others about the gospel, sharing your own testimony about your salvation. What did he tell Israel to do? Tell your sons. Remember, every single year, you're to keep this feast on the first month, the 14th day of the month through the 21st day of the month. You're going to take this concentrated time. And when your kids say, what's this all about? You're to remind them it's the Lord's Passover. Because on the night when the judgment came on the Egyptians and we applied that blood, he passed over our houses and we went out free and clear, redeemed, saved, and delivered. You tell your kids about it, and it'll bring you back to it. Hey, listen, nothing will fire you up about your salvation than going and telling somebody else about your salvation. 
about the change God's brought in your life, about the addictions he's gotten out of your life and the alcohol and the anger and the bitterness that he's gotten out of your life. Look at what he's done in my life. You know what that does? It takes you back to that moment when you knelt at the cross and called on Christ as your savior. And it brings you back to all these memories of who you used to be, but who God's brought you to now. And you know what that does? It burns a passion inside of you. He's given us a church, a church where we can come every Sunday and we sing the songs of the gospel and we sing about the blood and we sing about the cross and we sing about the resurrection and we sing about the fact he's coming again and we sing about the marriage supper of the lamb. He's given us this opportunity to gather together as a corporate group of people and to sing his praises and to fall on our knees and worship to him and to hear a message preached about the blood of the lamb. You know what that does? The more you go to church, the more you remind yourself about the gospel, the more you frequent the cross at church that kindles a fire and a passion inside of you to the keep you close to God that makes you want to get up the next morning and read your Bible and spend time in prayer and to go out into the community and share Christ with others. It does that work in your life. That's why church attendance is so important in your life. Do we realize that church isn't just a routine? Church isn't just a a religious ceremony or, or a religious ritual that becomes duty in your life. No, it is a time where we come back and we frequent the cross so that we can go back on Monday and live as a light to a community that's lost in their sin. Church will do that for you. But he's also, like he did with Israel, given us an ordinance that we call the Lord's Supper. And every Tuesday before Easter and coming up every Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we take a time as a church to separate by itself, a formal memorial ceremony, and we read the crucifixion account, and we sing about the blood and the salvation that Christ has given us, and we take that unleavened bread, and we break it as Jesus was broken for us. And we take that juice, and we pour it out into that cup, just as Jesus' blood was poured out for us. And as the song saying tonight, we remember, we remember what he's done for us. Why did he give us that ordinance? Why did he give us that memorial? Because the memorial keeps us close. Remembering the cross, remembering the blood, remembering the Passover brings back to our mind what God has so graciously done for us that it would draw our hearts closer to him, that it would rekindle cold hearts, that it would throw fire upon a wet heart, that it would bring us back to a place where our love for God and our passion for him is burning so deeply within us. The truth of the text is this that you can only be redeemed from the penalty of death by faith in the application of the blood of Christ. To be saved, you've got to know his plan. But to be saved, you've got to trust his plan. And when you know his plan and you've trusted his plan, we need to remember his plan. 
And so I would just say to you tonight, if, you, if you're tuning in or if you're here tonight and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, that blood is available to you tonight if you will receive it by faith and place your faith in Jesus Christ and call on him for salvation, the blood will be applied. And then you could sing a song with us on Sunday. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious light. That can be your testimony if the blood will be applied by faith tonight. But Christian, let me ask you, has your faith grown cold? Have you lost the passion, the zeal, the burning desire for God throughout your week. If that's the case in your life, if the circumstances of life are stealing your joy, if the struggles at work are stealing your joy, if the struggles with family are stealing your joy, it might just be that you need to go back to the cross and you need to revisit the day you got saved and you need to revisit the day the blood was applied and let his death for you do its work of rekindling your fire for him. Lord, we come to you tonight grateful for the blood that was shed for our sin. We certainly did not deserve it. We did not earn it. There's nothing we could do to buy it but by your grace, you've offered it freely to all who will believe. I pray, Lord, for our city today that's full of people who do not understand the blood. They don't understand salvation. And what they need is for people who know the plan to go and tell them what the plan is, that they might believe the plan and be saved. I pray, God, that you would kindle a fire in our hearts to reach our city for Christ. But I pray, Lord, that if those that are here tonight where their faith has grown cold, I pray they'd revisit the cross even now and be rekindled for you. Lord, I ask you to work in our time of invitation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.